chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We are um, starting Advent today, and although we're in the I Am series, I thought it fitting to start in a part of the gospel, or the Christmas story. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to skip everybody's favorite parts of the, uh, we'll come back around to them, Lord willing, in the later weeks and the early parts of Luke. But in Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 25. By the way, you know what's funny is, you know, Brian was up here apologizing for all the, um, the, the old Doug would have been really frustrated. But honestly, like, if, if, if God did nothing else during the 12 weeks that we weren't able to gather during COVID in 2020, he broke me of my own feeling like I needed to be in control. And so I honestly didn't mind where the Lord took it today. And so um, I am excited for where he's going to take the message. So in Luke 2, starting in verse 25, it's, it says this, Jesus has been born, it's now eight days later, he's being dedicated at the temple, and it says, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, or the Messiah. And he came in the Spirit. Look how much Spirit talk there is here. This is before the ascension, before Pentecost, and yet the Spirit is active. He came in the Spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your, for your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what they said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed to fall and rising and, and to the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through his own soul also. So that, so that thoughts for the many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The redemption of Jerusalem. They were waiting for the Redeemer, and the Redeemer was right in front of them. They were waiting, which is just what the word Advent means. It's a time of waiting for his first Advent, which had happened here in Luke, and his second Advent, which will be when he comes again to renew all things. But here's a question. Like, we, we know, because if you, if you know any of the gospel story, you know most of the world missed it. Here is the thing they had been waiting for for centuries had come... The Messiah is in front of them, and they missed it. Why? Because they weren't waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. But here's my question for us today. Are we looking? Right? And I'm talking about the church. I'm even talking about this church. Are we eagerly expecting his second advent? Because if we don't, we have the chance of missing it just like they did. But why? Why are so many who call themselves Christians today and, and, and aren't, and, I, and I'm not the keeper of that, and I'm not even the measure of who here and who, who here is saved and who isn't, but those who say they're Christians, many, many aren't, just like those who said they were religious Jews were not, they were just cultural. Why did they miss it? Well, the answer is because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, for the God of this world has darkened the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the glory of the light of the gospel that is Jesus Christ. He is the image of God. They're saying the very one they were looking for, they could not see because the God of this world was blind in their eyes. So here's the first talking point right out of the chute. Here's our first, I just want to ask for some group input here. Why... 
Why are, is the gospel so hard for the world to understand? What, are there, what things about the gospel seem so confusing to people? I'm asking. We're helpless to fix it ourselves. We're, we're, we live, especially in, as Americans, we live in a man. If it's going to happen, it's up to me. I'm going to make it work. I, that was my huge problem for twenty something years of my life. What else? Is there really even a God? The world is so broken. Things are so hard here. Good. Why? That's a, such a great one. Thank you for that. Why could I not, why could I be so unconditionally loved? Well, before we come back to you, Jeff, I just want to ask, so, so why is that so hard for us to believe, un, the concept of unconditional love? Sin. Okay, sin, why? Because it doesn't happen. How good are we at that for, with each other? Right, and because our tendency is to lower God to our level, rather than try by his power to attain, like, a level of godliness to his level, we, we see him as us and we go, well, I, I, nobody unconditionally loves me, so why, how could God be any different? Which goes back to Jack's point of faith. Right? Without faith, it is impossible to, believe, to please God. For those who come to God have to believe that he exists, the writer of Hebrews tells us, and that he is a rewarder, gracer, of those who come to him. So I, before we like, read our Bibles and point to these people and go, how could they miss it? We have to take the time and go, wait, one, how much of the gospel beauty do we miss? And then two, we live in a world that's missing most of it, right? And that's just the reality of where we live. And so, um, as we're going through this series, we're walking through Advent, rather than doing the four um, like the four-week series in Advent, we're, we're using the I Ams to lead us into this Christmas season. We started them. This is now our fifth week, six weeks. Well, one, two, three, four, five, sixth week, I think. So, so we're, and here's why. I can think of no other, no better time. Um, it's also part of why, um, Lord willing, in, in January, or starting in 2022, we're going to start walking through the book of Romans together. Because, guys, we need the gospel. Like, we need the gospel. We, we need the message that Christ saves sinners. Right? And so I can think of no better way to celebrate Christmas than to, than to point to these seven I am's. And so, and here's why. Because we lit, and here's why we need the gospel so badly. All those reasons we were just talking about, about why it's foolishness to the world. The gospel, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Paul tells us in, 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 um, in 1 Corinthians. Is the reason for that is because we want to be self-defining. Especially now. And so, in a world that wants to define, like wants, to, wants our um, identity to be self-identified, we want our identity and we want to help others find their identity in Christ. In other words, we want our identity to be informed by what God says and transformed by the power of the Spirit. So as we, look at, as we looked at the first week on the bread of life, the wheat there, because he is the bread of life, you are eternally satisfied if you're in Christ. The second one up there, because he is the light of the world, you are the light in the darkness. The third one there, the gate, because he is the gate or the door, we have this dual citizenship because he is our entrance, he is our, our ability to enter and exit the physical and the spiritual. Because he is the good shepherd, we are people who hear his voice and can help others hear his voice. And then last week, Josh taught on he is the resurrection and the life. We have eternal life with him. These are things that should be informing and transforming our identity. Because he is the great I am. I am who he says I am. And we have to constantly, as Abby prayed, as so many people shared, guys, when you're in a place like Debbie was talking about just struggling with her job or with our, my new sister in Christ, Taylor, and the things that are going on in her life, we, or what Jody shared during their, their time of family sharing up here, guys, we have to constantly be reminding ourselves that he is the I am. And because he is the I am, that settles it when we are in him. 
So today we're going to talk about the fact that he is the way, the truth, and the life. As Abby said, it's out of uh, verse 6 of, his, um, of, of chapter 14. So turn to John 14. I think I left you in Luke. Turn to John 14. That is our passage for today. And we are going to ask the question today of how do we find our way in the world? If he is the way, truth, and life, how do we find our way in the world? And as we walk through this passage, we're going to see that Jesus is going to teach us that he is the way that, we're, that allows us to walk in the truth that reveals the light. He isn't just a way to the way or a way to the truth or a way to the light. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Right? And so we're going to see him tell us that. So we're going to pick it up starting in verse 1 of chapter 14, looking at our first point. He really is the way. So how do we find our way in the world? By one, by knowing that he is the way. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believed, you believed in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, I would have told you, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you also will be. I love how, how Jesus is constantly pulling us forward in God's story. And so whenever he has a chance, like here, he is pulling, he is pulling something out of the Exodus account. And don't turn there, but in Exodus 23, if you're taking notes, Exodus 23, 30, there's a scene where Moses is having this conversation with God. And God says to him, relax, Moses. I am sending an angel to the place that I am preparing for you so that it will be ready when you get there. Jesus is saying, I am going to prepare that place and it will be ready when you get there. Now keep going. Verse 4, and you know where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then it keeps going. If you've known me, you've known the Father also. From now on, you will know him and have seen him. And then Philip pipes up. You know, Thomas gets all the, all the, the bad ink, but Philip asks a really similar question. Philip says to him, Lord... Show us the Father. Like, just show us the Father. It is enough for us. Show me yourself. Like, show me God, is what they're saying. And look what Jesus says. You can almost picture his heart, like, breaking, except he, he knew what was going to happen. But he says, have, you, have I been with you so long? And you still don't know me, Philip? Because I read that, my heart just breaks for me. Have you walked with me, Doug, for 20-something years and you still don't know me? You still live in fear? You still live in doubt? I do believe. Help my unbelief. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but my Father who dwells with me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. He's like, if you can't believe what I'm telling you guys, just believe what you've seen me do. And they've seen him do a lot at this point. But Thomas and Philip, they might get bad ink, but guys, we're no better. In fact, we're way worse, honestly. And that's where grace comes in. That's where God's grace isn't just sufficient to save us, but it's sufficient to get us through that moment of doubt by showing us the goodness of God. And I love how even here, 
Jesus is pulling them in this account back into this Exodus story. So keep your finger here in John and turn to Exodus 33. Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, it's the second book of your Bible, so it's easy to find. Exodus 33. If you don't have a Bible, just look on with somebody, please. Um, I want you to see the word of the Lord. Exodus 33, and I'm going to start in verse 12. This is later on in the Exodus account. They've already been worshiping in the tabernacle. Like this is, you know, Moses has been leading God's people for a while. And it says this in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom, will send, whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore... Now listen to Moses. This is, this is Moses. If you know the Exodus story, have you just seen the Cecil B. DeMille Ten Commandments movie? Moses was used by God to do a lot of really powerful things. In fact, look at verse 11 real quick. This is how their relationship is described. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And yet... In verse 13, he says, if I have found favor in your sight. Really? But guys, think about Thomas. How do we know the way? Think about Philip. Show me the Father and it is enough. Jesus could have looked at them and been like, really? In fact, he kind of says that when he says to Philip, how do you even ask me that? Look what happens. This is the grace of God. He says, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too, this nation is your people. And he said, my presence, so God says to him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Great passage to memorize for decision-making time, which isn't about this message, but mark it in your Bible for when I need to make a decision, great thing to pray. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. But guys, get this. Jesus tells his disciples in John 15, which, which is the chapter after we're in, he says, I don't call you slaves anymore. I call you friend. I know you by name. Right? He's, he's in this, but, but, but basically what they're asking is like, please show me more. Look at, go, so keep your finger here. We're going to come right back to Exodus 33. Go back to our passage in John. So flip back to John 14. And I just want to remind you of these two things that, that both Thomas and Peter say. What is their heart asking when he says, when Thomas asks in verse 5, Lord, we do, not where you're go- we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? What is he asking? Like, like, like what is his heart? Because we've got to get better, at just generally. I, I saw this as we have had family with us over the Thanksgiving holiday. We, have, we talked a lot about, like, we've got to get better at getting past what people are saying and get to where their, what their heart is speaking. Right? You've got to listen with your heart has to listen for their heart. And that's a supernatural thing, but we've got to get better at that as a people. Because what Thomas is saying is, like, I doubt my place in your presence. I doubt my I doubt my preciousness to you. Because now all of a sudden you're gonna leave me. And then when Philip says in verse 8, show us the Father, and it is enough for us, his heart, I think, is asking, he's saying, I'm afraid. This is all new. We've never, we've done Passover before, never like this. What's going on? Help me understand what, that's ultimately fear. He's unsure. He's doubting. It's what, even after Moses is talking to God face to face, he's getting ready to lead the people into the promised land, which he doesn't get to do. We know that part of the story. But he's saying, I'm taking them over there. And he's afraid. He's unsure. And his heart's response is, just show me more of you. But guys, I'll, I'll tell you, there was, there was a time, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. 
Like it, it was in about 2000, 99 or 2000, I was sitting at my table having my quiet time and I was just in one of those, I was in one of those Philip Thomas Moses moments. Lord, I just, I, I feel like I, I don't know enough of you. I, show me more of your glory. I remember praying that. And I remember him impressing upon my soul so strongly, Doug, what are you doing with what I've already given you? Because at that point, I wasn't discipling anybody. I was barely leading my wife and one two-year-old daughter spiritually. And that's when I realized the more, guys, and, and how does that relate to you? The more of him you give away, as Scott was talking about, the more of him you'll get. Right? So we have got, so, so, and so back to Exodus 33, because time is short. Exodus 33, verse 18. Moses continues the conversation with God. He's pressing for more to overcome his fear. Just like that's ultimately what Thomas and Philip are trying to do. He says, Moses, so after God says, I know you by name, absolutely, I'm going to lead you into the promised land, the whole thing, it's all good. Then look at Moses stepping into more. Please show me your glory. He's like, I need more of you, God. And he said, I will make known to you all my goodness, and I will pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where, I shall stand on the, where you shall stand on the rock. While my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. And then I will take, oh, and then I will take away my hand, and you will see my back, but my face you shall not see. And we're going to see and explain a little bit more about what that whole scene is about in a couple weeks, Lord willing, because Jesus actually reenacts that moment with his disciples in, um, earlier in the Gospel of John. And so we'll be there later. I don't want to give it away now. But I, but I do want, guys, as our hearts often will ask, whether, we, whether we're saying it this way or not, our hearts will often ask, Jesus, show me more of you. I need more of you. I'm desperate for you. Maybe you're not even clueless enough to think, like, he's the one you need. You just know you need. Right? You know I need to see the glory of God. Well, do you remember in John, that one of the verses that, that, um, that Brian read in our calling passage, in John 1.18, he says that no one has ever seen God, the one true God, but Jesus is the image, the very image of God. So he's saying, so, so when, we, when we are in the Word, and we know that the Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us, and we know that He is the Word, we know that, all, that the sum of His Word is truth, we know all those things in our heads, when we see it for what it really is, that He is the way, the truth, and the life, guys, we are getting as close to the glory of God as we dare get. And way more glory than anybody, including Moses, ever got to see. We just don't live that way. Guys, we have more glory of God in our hands and the Holy Spirit in our hearts than Moses ever had. We just don't live like it. I don't live like that. So look at your second talking points question. I do want to give you a minute to talk with the people you're sitting next to. The second talking points question talks about how Jesus describes himself three ways. I am the way... I am the truth and I am the life. Out of those three things, way, truth, and life. So believing that he, like knowing that he is the way, believing his truth, or just living in the power of his life. And we haven't even gotten to those second two words yet, truth and life yet, I know that. But out of those three things, way, truth, and life, which one of those three is easiest for you to live in as your reality? And which one is hardest? And Why? So is it, which one is easier for you to live in, way, truth, or life, and which one is harder for you to live in, the way, the truth, and the life? Go.
Okay, I think you all are still in that post-turkey coma something, so the conversation, so, so real quick, I'm just going to ask for a few, um, I hopefully understood the question, but I'm just going to ask for a few um, answers. So, so what, let's start, with, uh, let's start with the easiest. So what is it easiest for you to live with, in and why? The truth. The truth, why? The truth, never the truth never changes. Good, it's like right in front of me, black and white, like kind of literally black and white, good. What else? The way. John, go ahead. Okay, Jesus, there's no other way I, he, that we can get to God. He is the way. So it's just easy for me to understand. I don't need to go looking around for some other way. He is the way. Good. One more. Right, and, and so I don't know if you hear, so Scott was saying like the way and the life are, are, are kind of um, interconnected, and they, and they are, and, but the way is a little easier to live in because you just kind of know, okay, that's the way I got to go, right? But the life is a little more nebulous, and we're going to see in our life, and you helped kind of make our, the last point when we get to, to the, that reveals the life, um, it, there, is, there is, because it's, it is far more spiritual and not physical, and we tend to live more, in, even though we are, even though we are both spiritual and physical beings as born-again believers, we tend to enjoy living in the physical more, because it just, it's more real, it's more truth. Good. Uh, so what's the hardest and why? One, let's have one. The way, how come? Awesome. Okay, so and I think Scott's got a great deep voice. Most of you probably heard that, but it's just and it leads us right into our next point. Actually, um, about about this idea of we don't feel like we're walking in the way when we're sinning, and I, and and that'll lead us kind of into where we're going to be in our last couple points. That hopefully will go fairly fast. So so the question we're asking is, how do you find your way in this world? One, it's by knowing that He is the way that we're, that we can walk in the truth. So He is not just a way to the way, and not just a way to the truth, but he is those things, and it is by him, by him, that we can even walk in the truth. So if the truth is black and white, the truth is I'm either obedient or I'm not, our tendency, even to what Scott was saying, and I'm the same way, Scott, even is, is to jump into this, okay, so now I have to be obedient, what, what Jesus is going to show us here is you can't be unless you are being obedient through me. Like, I'm the way to your obedience of the way in my truth. So, let's take a look at that, and we're going to pick it up in verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will, you will keep my commandments. And I'm like, oh, great. I do love you, Lord, but I still, I'm still a sinner. I still struggle. What in the world is that about? Glad you asked. Turn a page to John 16 and look at verse 5. I want to show you something we're not going to get to in the I Am series, but it's so critical for us to understand what does it mean for us for, that he is, the, he is actually the means by which, he is the way we are even able to walk out his truth. What does that mean? Here's what it, he tells them, Later. Now, when we move from chapter 14 to chapter 16, at least a couple hours has gone by. Remember, this is, this is the night he is going to be arrested, the night before, the, before he's crucified. And so he has, he, they had, their, they had their, their last supper together and the Passover meal. They've walked out. They've gone through the garden where, he, where, where we'll be in next week in chapter 15. And now at some point he says to them, but now I am going to him who sent me. I'm in verse 5 of chapter 16. And none of you asks me where I'm going. Now you say, wait a minute, we just, we just had this whole conversation about that. Well, a couple hours has gone by. So, you know, he's kind of moving the conversation forward. Verse 6, but because I said these things, you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world, that is Satan, is judged. 
I still have many things to say to you. Get this. I still have many things to say to you. Wait a minute. He's going to be gone pretty soon. He's still, but he's like, I still have other things I'm going to tell you, but you can't handle them now. Why? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. But get this in verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. And He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are, that are to come. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit's role is always to glorify Christ. Now go back to verse 15. In light of what we just read about how the Holy Spirit, he's going to leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come. Why does that have to happen? Well, what he knows is going to happen between that moment in, in chapter 16 and when he comes at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is he knows he's going to die on a cross to pay the prices, the propitiation, the satisfaction for the just wrath of God because of our rebellion, because of your rebellion. All of us deny that God is our God at some level. We all do. That's why the cross happened. And because the cross happens, and he is now at the right hand of the Father, it now, it now allowed for the Holy Spirit to indwell us. He didn't leave us as orphans. So look at what he says. I will ask the Father, I'm in verse 16 of chapter 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I don't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now jump down to verse 21. But, but, so there's this whole thing about, I will bring the Holy Spirit. He will reveal more of my glory to you. He will empower you. But then look at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now jump to verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that they hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Guys, here's, the, here's our struggle. Like, honestly, here's our, this, we think he is the way, and we had better get busy walking in the truth. What we have to believe is, he, what we have to know he taught just then is he is the way we even are able to walk in the truth. But when we see verses like chapter 16 and chapter 14, depending on where you are in the truth-spirit continuum, generally in the churches, you either have churches that are very spirit, 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 no Bible, or very Bible, 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 very little spirit. What we have tried to be since day one, but we have seen the Holy Spirit do way more of in the last two years, praise God, literally praise God, is smash those two things together. Why? Because Jesus told us in John 4, the day is coming and now is when the true worshiper of God will worship him in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. So we, but, but our tendency, here's our tendency, is to either be one, one side or the other. And here's what that does to us. What that does to us is we either go, okay, I, I am my own small g God working my way up to the big G God, right? Or we're like, no, I know I'm not that, man. I know I'm not that person. I'm more that truth dude. But then here's what we are. I am my own savior. Because every time I look and I go, I sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, and I better get better. Who's my savior? Me. I'm either my own little, little G God or am I I'm my own little less savior. What he's saying is, no, I am your savior and I am your God. Right? And you have to worship me as such. The gospel message completely poo-poos both of the ideas of I am my own God and I am my own savior. What, what the gospel message is, what Christ's death on a cross did, is it said, I am coming, I have come. What the baby born in a barn did was he came to die. Do you understand that? 
I, I, I get that we, we probably don't want to have a cross in our manger scene with, you know, with him on it so like in, during the Christmas season. I understand that. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday. I get that. But guys, we have to realize that the Christmas story is a story of redemption through sacrifice of God himself for the world. And so when we, when we see it that way, we can start to respond the way we need to respond. He is not only the way that enables us to walk in the truth, but when we do that, we can live his life in us. Take a look at your last talking points question. I just want to point it out to you, and then we're going to finish up with our last point and go into our time of response. Because this one I have to sort of explain. It made great sense to me in my head when I wrote it early in the week, and it made little sense in my head when I read it this morning. Um, so hopefully, hopefully the Holy Spirit will do his work. Um, but here's the point. Being in Christ does not come from walking in the truth. We've talked about this before. In other words, you are never going to behave yourself into beholding the beauty that is Christ. Does behavior matter to God? Of course it does. Are there all kinds of things in Scripture that talk about? Jesus just said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He's not indifferent about our behavior. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is we are never going to get better and behold the beauty of Christ. But that's the gospel that often gets preached. I am my own Savior. Walking in the truth comes from being in Christ. When we behold, the more, because if you're struggling with a sin issue right now, if you're struggling, even as we're starting Advent and Christmas is coming, and oh man, I really want to, I, man, I just, I want so desperately, like Moses, like Thomas, like Philip, to press in to his presence and just, and, and really have this Christmas be about him. And yet I frankly just don't seem to have the motivation. I don't even seem to care. I, I just, like I'm, I'm, I'm just a mess. The solution isn't try harder. The solution is look at the beauty of Jesus. The solution is remember the goodness that was shared during our prayer time. Remember the glory that is the gospel. And then watch and see if that doesn't motivate you to get up tomorrow morning to do your Advent reading. Right, do you see the difference? Rather than go, I better get up and do my Advent reading in the morning, go, you know what, I just want to behold the beauty that is Christ before I go to bed tonight and see if that doesn't awaken me to want to see more of that beauty tomorrow morning. Right? That's the difference the gospel makes. So as we continue to pray for these two or three people, we talked a few weeks ago about writing some names down on a card. You can put them on the prayer wall. You can um, keep them in your Bibles. We, we, don't want to, we don't want the message we're sharing with them to be, get your act together and come to Christ. We just want to be Jesus to these people and remind them that if they just come to Christ, he'll get their act together. Right? That's the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. So, the reason that's true is because not only is he the way that we can even walk in his truth, but it is, he is also, that is also the way that he reveals his life. And the reason for that is because the difference between us and the world, the God of this world has darkened the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the glory of God. The, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The diff, what happened to you, if you are a born-again believer, what happened to you is you were born again. You are now, no, see, everybody who has ever lived has a physical body and a soul, mind, will, and emotion. The physical body will be destroyed and then resurrected on the last day to destruction or to eternal glory. The soul lives on forever and still is alive today for those who have died. As Christians, as born-again believers, the part of us that's different than everybody else, the reason the word of the cross is no longer foolishness to you is because you're spiritually alive. We are trichotomous beings, meaning we have three parts, body, soul, and spirit. If you are born again. Now look at what he says. That's the life he's talking about. Look at what he says in verse 28. These things I've spoken to you while I am with you, but the helper, 
the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. How can that even be possible? They couldn't understand a word he was saying at the beginning of this chapter. Now all of a sudden they're going to understand everything. Why? Because he knows something they don't in this moment. They're going to be born again spiritually. The helper's going to come. They're going to be born again. And he is going to teach them and bring into remembrance all that I said. That, that's, that is how verses 16 and 17 happen. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot see, receive because he neither sees him nor knows him. But get this. You know him for he dwells currently as he's talking to his his disciples right here, he dwells with you and will be future tense in you. He's saying, there's a point coming, you're going to be born again. And when that day comes, all this nonsense is going to make great sense to you. And I remember when that happened to me. Do you? Do you remember when all of a sudden the word, it's okay, don't, yeah, we are a responsive participatory church here. You're just all sleeping today. So, Guys, but we, we, need, we need to understand and appreciate our own, our own born-againness way more than we do. Because it is the great differentiator. Now look at what he says, and we're going to wrap it up with this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you do I give it, I, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Guys, I read that, and honestly, I mean, honestly, I look at that. I look at that, and I go, "How is that even possible in a world that is as scary as this world is?" Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Remember how he started, verse one: "Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me." That's how it's possible. Here's how it's possible. You have to understand that you're not made for this world. We were not made for this world or in its current condition. We were made for a world that is perfect. And the God who came once, the first advent, as a man, as a baby, born in a manger, so he could die on a cross and redeem the world, he will come again in his second advent as the judge of this world with those eyes aflame and the tongue, of, and the, and the tongue like a sword, and he will renew all things. That's the world you're made. The problem right now for us, the reason we're still struggling as believers is, is what I talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about the door. We're dual citizens. We're stuck in this physical world but there's, because we still have physical bodies. But we also have a spiritual part of us that's already somehow set in the heavens and in us. And so we're sort of in this already not yet completely like almost schizophrenic time, right? Like, like I, I'm like, I know I'm supposed to be this way. Why am I not? The answer is because there's a war going on within you. Romans is going to show us that. So, if that, if that, if that verse in verse 27 sounds familiar, it, it's because you've probably heard it out of chapter 16, verse 33, many times. And as the music team comes up and we go into our time of response and the communion trays are going to get passed around, um, I'm going to ask you to just reflect on this idea. Guys, understand that, that, yes, he is the way and the truth and the life. And that, and that when you respond to that, whether it be for the first time unto salvation or you respond to that in just living the spirit-filled life he's empowered you to live, that when you come to realize that the helper has come, you are no longer dead, but you have been made, but God, while you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul tells us in Ephesians, made us alive together with him. That's the gospel. Death to life. That's what we celebrate at Communion. So the communion trays are coming around. The music team's going to just um, do part of a song. I don't really know how it's going to go. The Lord knows. It's okay. I'll come back up. I'll lead us through taking the cups together. But guys, I want to encourage you to be in an attitude of response. So here's what I mean by that. 
Like our tendency is, you know, to me, this is not an attitude of response. This is not welcoming. When I'm having a conversation with one of my daughters about something she doesn't want to hear, and this is, and this is how she looks, I do not think she's receiving me well. I probably deserve it, but I'm still her dad. This is an attitude of response. Right? This is an attitude of reception. Right? So here's what I just want. I, I, you don't have to do anything weird, but here's what I just ask. Even if it's just, even if it's just something as simple and safe as taking one of your hands that's holding the cup and the other hand that's just on your lap and flip your hand over. Like even if that's all. If guys, I, I know we laugh. There was a time in my spiritual walk where that would have been like, whoa, really? That just feels so uncomfortable to me. Oh. But do it because you're going, Lord, I, 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 I'm at, my heart is asking for what Thomas asked for. How do we know the way? My heart is asking for what Philip asked for. Show me the Father, and it is enough for us. My heart is asking for what Moses asked for. Show me your glory. I mean, his face was glowing. Literally glowing. And he's still going, Lord, I want more. So regardless of where you're at in this moment spiritually, maybe this is the day that you have, for the first time, you're like, it made sense. I've heard him say that a hundred times. It finally made sense to me today. Congratulations. You are in the family of God. Tell somebody about it. Tell him about it to start with. But maybe you're sitting here today and you're just going, man, okay, it's the first Sunday of Advent. I survived Thanksgiving. I really, really, really need to see your glory, Lord. I really, really you to show me the Father. Lord, in these next four weeks, I really want to walk in your way. So remember this. I've said these things to you that in me, have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world.
part of why Jesus instituted communion in John 13 and then Paul reminds us of in 1 Corinthians 11 is because he knows we're leaky people. Because you, you understand that you don't need to feel guilty about coming to him with your hands open going up. I need to be refilled. Like I, I just need more of you. He gets it. He totally gets it. This is why he wanted us to do communion. Because like no other time in our service, it points us back to him and the cross. And the cross is everything in Christianity. The cross differentiates Christianity, biblical Christianity, from every other religion in the world. Because the cross, as it's the biblical cross, as it's described in the Bible, says God did. Every other religion, including some that profess faith in Christ, say you do. So when we take communion, what we're really saying is, God did. He tells us that as often as we take this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until his return, until his second advent. So from his first advent, he knew we were going to need a weekly reminder that he's coming again and that we need to be refilled over and over and over and over. Because we're just leaky people. So take the cup that has the bread in it, and Lord, I pray that you would just bless this bread that is a symbol of your body broken for us. Take the cup that has the juice, and let us remember that this is the new covenant in his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin once for all, Jesus' name.